0: so pumped this morning. Thank you for being here today or watching online as well. We have a celebrative morning this morning. 22 kids coming to faith in Jesus. Are you kidding me? Wow. You know, it takes an entire crew. We had about 50 or 60 students and probably another 50 to 100 adults that were helping out. And it's just exciting what God is doing. And I was talking with Crystal speaking in that last video. I said, what if all the kids were to come on Sunday morning? Well, what would we do? She said, well, we'd have to turn them away. Like, what? Like, we don't have the teachers. We don't have the volunteers right now to help out. So, let me just back up what Crystal was saying. We never force people to serve or to give. We, we never say, you need to be giving this much or you need to be serving here. But we will say, pray about it. Just genuinely get on your knees, say, God, do you want me serving here? And God has always provided. So, I'm going to trust that God's going to just work on people's hearts. And if you're interested, like I said, see Crystal out at the red tent. All right. So, in the beginning, Right after God created Adam, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And ever since that time, women have said amen to that one, right? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I read this blurb the other day about a lady whose housework-challenged husband decided to wash his own sweatshirt. And seconds after stepping into the laundry room, he yells out to his wife, honey, what setting do I use on the washing machine? And she says, well, it depends. What, What does it say on your shirt? And the guy yells back, Oklahoma University? <laughs> it's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> yeah, you know, we all know when God originally made that statement, he was actually talking about a man's need for a helper, a companion, or more literally in the Hebrew, a completer. And so God created Eve to complete Adam. But this principle that it's not good for man to be alone, it goes far beyond a man's need to find a wife or a woman's need to find a husband. It is a fundamental need of all people, single or married, to live in community with others. Charles Spurgeon once said, communion is strength, solitude is weakness. Alone, the old birch tree yields to the blast and lies prone on the meadow. In the forest, supporting each other, the trees laugh at the hurricane. The sheep of Jesus flock together. The social element is the genius of Christianity. You know, the Bible says that you and I are made for loving relationships. The Bible calls it by various terms, and one of them is in our passage this morning. I want you to listen carefully to 1 Thessalonians 4 9 to 10 here. Paul writes, Now about brotherly love. We don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Now, the key phrase here is brotherly love. It's the Greek term, philadelphos. We get our word Philadelphia from that, the city of brotherly love. And even though this translation uses the term brotherly, this applies to women as well as men. And it speaks of the kind of love that is demonstrated through devotion. This is not a surface love. This is deep, authentic love. It's the kind of love Jesus commanded when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. It actually involves a sharing of our lives together, what the Bible calls fellowship. When brotherly love is done right, it results in fellowship and authentic community. And so today, rather than just glossing over this passage and saying, okay, go love each other, let's pray, right, I decided instead that we would do a little deep dive, but we would talk a little bit about how to build loving relationships with another human being. And basically, we're talking about how to develop authentic Christian community. And since the best place to start making that happen is in our small groups, a lot of my illustrations this morning will have to do with small group ministry. At the end, if you're not involved, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get involved in one of our small groups. So let's dive in here. The first building block of loving Christian community is time. True brotherly love isn't going to happen just every once in a while. You're going to have to make a commitment in your schedule to spend significant time with other people. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, the key word here is habit. You know, a habit is something you do with frequency, right? It's not something you do just occasionally. You do it over and over and over again. And if you want to build strong relationships with people, you're going to have to spend time with them. That's why most of our small groups meet on a weekly basis. And if you look in the Bible, the fellowship of the first century church was frequent as well. Acts 2.46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every day they met together. They had daily fellowship. Now, I recognize that might not be possible in our culture today, but it's quite a model to live up to. And did you notice one of the key activities they did when they got together? Right, they ate together, okay? Here we have the biblical grounds for small group potlucks right here, Right. Yeah, if you want to develop deep fellowship in your group, here's the key. Invite people over to eat with you. If you want to have good fellowship with someone, say your pastor, invite me over to eat with you, okay? (laughs) Better yet, take me out to Shanghai Express. That's where the best fellowship happens, trust me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But how many of you would say that your small group has gotten closer by having meals together? If you've been in a small group, just raise your hands up, yeah. You see, there is something to this. In fact, if you study the life and the ministry of Jesus... You'll be blown away at how often he taught people while they were eating. Why? Well, when people are eating, they're, they're more relaxed. They're more open. Their barriers are down. So you've got to take the time to just hang out and have fun with the people you want to develop a relationship with. It's not going to happen if you just schedule a formal meeting every so often. No, building strong relationships that demonstrate brotherly love takes time. Takes time. Okay, second building block of love in Christian community is authenticity. I mean, by definition, real love can't be fake. Romans 12, 9 says it well. Love must be sincere. Now, this can be kind of tough because you know what? It it forces you to share your true self, your true feelings, your true strengths and weaknesses. 1 John 1, 7 and 8 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And then he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John says, we're only deceiving ourselves if we claim to be perfect in life. See, being authentic means admitting where you weak, admitting when you've blown it in life. And according to this passage, true fellowship only happens in the light. See, in the dark, we hide things. We don't want people to see our faults, our failures, our flaws. But in the light, we're out in the open. We say, this is where I'm at. And man, I need your prayers. I need your encouragement right now. That's called being authentic. You see, if you run from relationships, if you say, I don't need any of that touchy-feely, small group stuff, the only person you're deceiving is yourself. I would say avoiding loving relationships is a sign of fear and weakness, not of strength. Your aloofness doesn't fool people into thinking that you're an island, a spiritual giant who just needs God and his family. People know you're hiding. In fact, in all my years of ministry, I have yet to meet a person who has it together spiritually, who's not also connected in deep relationships with other Christians. And I would say that kind of a lack of authenticity, it sort of reminds me of a product I read about many, many years ago, but it's always stuck with me. It's kind of cracked me up. Check this out. Many products are designed to imitate the real thing. There's plastic decking that looks like real wood, vinyl flooring that appears to be ceramic tile. You can purchase fake fur or jewelry, hair pieces, and other body parts. And the purpose behind all these items is fairly obvious. But what about a can of spray on mud? So, spray on mud is designed for use on the outside of your SUV. that way it appears you use your expensive gas guzzler for more than taking the kids to soccer practice. (laughs) This is great. Spray it on and friends might think you've just returned from a wilderness adventure. So sales of the product are going well, particularly in America and in London, where the concept originated. Quote, if you want an authentic look, says inventor Colin Dowse, there's not a lot else people can do. There's not a lot of mud in Chelsea says, apparently $15 a can seems a reasonable price for the appearance of authenticity. Spray on mud. <laughs> I think only in our culture of image is everything would a product like that sell. I also think that, that's kind of a sign of our culture, isn't it? How far removed we've become from being truly authentic. True fellowship isn't going to happen without a commitment to authenticity. So let me ask you this. How open and honest are you about sharing your life with other people? I mean, some things shouldn't be shared in a big worship service, a large group. But do you have a few close friends other than your spouse who you trust to open up with? How authentic are you when you get together with people? Okay, the third building block of loving Christian community is commitment. Everyone needs somebody who's committed to their well-being. Somebody who's personally encouraging them in their faith, their family, their work, in all aspects of life. We need somebody who checks up on us regularly. As the great theologian Bill Withers once said, we all need somebody to lean on, right? We should all sing that together, but no, I won't I'll spare you that pain. But because of that, you know, I recommend in small groups that, that people pair up from time to time. Like instead of saying, let's all discuss this, Say, turn to the person next to you and discuss this with them or or pray with them or share your biblical insight with that one person, because that can be the beginning of an accountability relationship. You know, Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The word spur there, paroxysmone, speaks of rubbing up against you, even irritating your, you know, it's in nature. It's kind of, The person is prodding you on to be more like Jesus, and that can be a little irritating at times, spurring the other person on. But we all need somebody who's committed enough to our spiritual well-being that they're willing to lay it on the line with us. Someone who's looking out for us, someone who has our back. We all need that. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves a while back, I read about a group of men whose job is just like that, watching out for others' safety. Check this out. The Texas Army National Guard has a group of special workers called riggers. Their job is to fold and pack the parachutes soldiers use when jumping from an airplane at 5,000 feet. It says these people are intensely dedicated to their task. The riggers' creed is, I will be sure always. I will be sure always. They know jumpers need assurance that everything regarding their chutes is perfect. So in the 20 minutes it takes to meticulously pack an MC-11 military parachute, 30 folds are required. A jumper has nothing to do with the chute until they put it on just before a jump. Trust in the error-free performance of the riggers is all a jumper has to rely on. The riggers' creed further states, I will never let the idea that my work is good enough make me a potential murderer through a careless mistake or oversight. For I know there can be no compromise with perfection. says, riggers, know the parachute business is a life or death enterprise. Mistakes cost lives. There's no room for complacency. Hmm. You know, whether we recognize it or not, we are in the middle of a very serious cosmic spiritual battle. And if you're a Christian, the enemy wants to take you down. <laughs> He wants to make you spiritually ineffective. And without somebody who's there for you, you might be able to coast for a while. But apparently, you know, I think over time, sooner or later, if you read the Bible, it says your parachute's going to come unraveled. You can't do it on your own. You'll end up crashing spiritually. I'm telling you, you have to have somebody who's committed to your spiritual well-being. All right, let's talk about another building block of loving Christian community we see in the scriptures. How about encouragement? This is big. Hebrews 3.13 says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. According to this verse, we need daily encouragement to grow spiritually, to not slide in to sin. We need somebody to come alongside of us and encourage us. And have you ever noticed in your spiritual life, when you've got somebody like that, you, you tend to grow more spiritually? You tend to stick with your spiritual habits more consistently. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, we all need somebody who will verbally and non-verbally encourage us in our pursuit of godliness. And really, if you think about it, that is true with every endeavor in life. Remember a number of years ago, when my youngest son was in gymnastics, I was at one of his gymnastics competitions, and one of the coolest things to watch was right before a kid would do the routine, the whole team would gather around that kid and give him a little verbal pep talk. It's one thing to be encouraged by your parents or for your coaches to come and say, hey, let's let's go do that, But, but when your team is building you up, those who know what it's like to be out there, that gives you an extra boost. In fact, I ran across a similar story. Another gymnast, years back, says when U.S. gymnast Carly Patterson won the silver medal at the World Championships in 2003, Mary Lou Retton, the only American woman to ever win all-around gymnastics gold, took notice. And she sent Patterson a poster with these words, quote, I saw you win silver at the Worlds, but I'll see gold on you in Athens. Says Patterson hung that poster on her bedroom wall using the note of encouragement to fuel her passionate preparation for the Athens games. And the rest, as you may know, is history. And after winning the gold medal in the all-around competition, the first person Carly called was Mary Lou Rett. See, nothing, nothing inspires us to greatness like the encouragement from someone else. And I bet if you think back to aspects of your life that you have excelled in, You'll find an encourager somewhere along your path. And that's true in other areas of life. It's especially true in our spiritual life. You gotta have this. 1 Thessalonians 5:14 says, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Every one of us needs someone outside of ourselves to give us a word of encouragement. If you don't have that, you'll end up discouraged. And let me tell you, discouragement makes you vulnerable to temptation. You know, when you're discouraged, your emotional barriers are down, you're much more likely to give into temptation. Let's talk about this from a very practical realm. Probably a lot of you can relate to this. How how about dieting, right? You know, when you give into temptation, chances are pretty high that you're discouraged. Like when you ate that entire box of Krispy Kreme donuts or down that whole gallon of ice cream, you know, Chances are you were discouraged because your prune juice and beet and tree bark cereal diet wasn't working right, right? Encouragement, it protects us. It protects us from temptation. It also helps us to live the best life possible. All right, one final building block here of loving Christian community, courtesy. Courtesy, what I mean by courtesy is we should respect our differences and show respect, even when we disagree with somebody. You know, you can disagree without being disagreeable. Let me say that again. You can disagree without being disagreeable. And believe it or not, courtesy is actually a theme that's mentioned quite often in the New Testament. Titus 3.2 says, To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. The English Standard Version actually says, show courtesy toward all people. Show courtesy. Be considerate of everyone. Have you ever noticed that in every small group, there's at least one difficult person? Don't stare at them right now. I see some of you turning. Not cool. Let me just explain the difficult person. Okay. The difficult person, they usually think a little differently. They communicate a little differently than everyone else in the group. And you know what? Quite frankly, they may have special emotional needs or insecurities. and Yeah, at times they they dominate the group discussion with their issues. Small group experts call these individuals extra grace required people. (laughs) Extra grace required. If you can't immediately think of who that is, it's it's probably you in your group. But (laughs) just saying. But listen to Galatians 6.10. I love this. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to how many people? <laughs> All people. And then Paul really drives it home, especially, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Family of believers. You know, God says the church is like one giant family. So it's a little bit like your extended family. And if you ever notice that in your extended family, there's always that one person, right? a little different, Cousin Goober, whatever his name might be, right? You know, you know, lights are on, nobody's home, right? You got your Aunt Bertha, you got your Cousin Goober, whatever their name might be, and, and they're family, right? So at the end of the day, we defend them, we protect them, we would die for Cousin Goober. He's a little goofy, but he's one of us. And guess what? Here's a little secret about extra grace required people. You... You are just one painful trial away from becoming one yourself. Now, you may not end up with a quirky personality, but all of us go through painful times in our life where we need some extra grace. We need extra patience from our friends. And the Bible says that we're to love and show courtesy to all people, regardless of background, personality, maturity, whatever it may be. You know, I've seen mature believers who struggle to get along due to differences of opinion or or judging others. But Romans 14.1 says this, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Loving Christian community is built on courtesy. And guess what? If you had to be perfect to be in your small group, they wouldn't have let you be in it in the first place. (laughs) So if you're in that group, trust me, the standards can't be that high. And here's a secret to extending courtesy to other people. You want a secret to this? Try to figure out and understand where they're coming from before you jump in and judge them. Like find out a little about them. You know what, What's their personality? What, what's their background? What are their current circumstances? Usually when you know what people have been through, you understand better why they're acting the way they're acting. And, and, and you're more courteous toward the person. And, and also, you know, there are some common courtesies that are a part of sharing. In small group ministry. Let me just lay some of those out there. Like, you know, limiting the time you speak in relationship to other people, not interrupting others, not judging others, keeping confidentiality when when someone shares a personal story or prayer request. I mean, those are basic common courtesies for building real community. But unfortunately, those guidelines are not always followed. For instance, I I think one mistake that's often made is this tendency to want to fix problems in other people too quickly. Instead of just listening to them, I see nodding going on here. <laughs> you know, you've all seen this. Somebody shares a prayer request. Yeah, you know, my kid, man, he's, he's, he's struggling a little bit. I, I, I've got this kid who's, who's a little bit rebellious. And before they can even utter another word, somebody butts in and says, hey, let me, let me tell you what to do. Okay? Here's what I did. Right? Without even listening, Mr. and missus Fixit launches into an instructional sermon. And what's even worse is when everybody chimes in, right? They're all kind of going after that person. That's called piling on, like dog piling the person. And and I thought about this. I I think men in particular struggle with this. I know when my wife, Wendy, comes to me with a problem, I immediately just want to fix that problem. So before she even finishes her sentence, I'm like, okay, here's what you need to do. Next problem. And I used to feel so good about myself. I mean, that's why she was sharing the problem with me in the first place. Right, guys? Wrong, Okay. I'm a quick learner, so it only took me 20 years to discover this. But when my wife comes to me and shares a problem with me, she's not looking for a solution, at least not at the outset. Like she's processing out loud. So she wants me to listen to her, to empathize with her, to say, yep, that's a problem, all right, man. That is a whopper of a problem. I don't think I've ever seen a problem that big before, you know. If I were you, I would have no idea how to solve that problem. That's what she's after. She wants to feel loved and and, and affirmed. I haven't solved anything, but she's not looking for Mr. Fix-It. Because here's the deal. When you immediately jump the gun, you know what you're saying to that person without even meaning to? Uh, You're you're, you're dumb. I'm smart, right? Here's what you should have done. I learned this years ago. The Bible says in Proverbs 18:13, he who answers before listening that is his folly and his shame. I kind of like the message which is actually a paraphrase. It's not a literal translation, but it says answering before listening is both stupid and rude. Okay. <laughs> Some of you may need to put that on your refrigerator this afternoon. Okay. James 1:19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, And slow to become angry. Hey, oftentimes we're in such a hurry to explain ourselves, we're not even listening to that other person. God gave you two ears and one mouth. All right, so listen twice as much as you speak. It's a good rule of thumb. All right, so this morning we've covered five building blocks for developing strong, loving, authentic Christian community with others. There's time. There's authenticity, commitment, encouragement and courtesy. Now, there are more, but those are a few of the essentials. And let me tell you, if you're not in an environment right now where you can get to know people in your church family, where you can begin to practice these principles, we've got just the place for you. It's our small group ministry. And we have small groups. We have women's groups, men's groups, couples groups. They meet on various evenings and different homes all around Georgetown, surrounding areas. And if you want to get connected out at the Red Tent today, Bob Goodfellow, he's our small group director. He's going to be out there. Just go out there and say, hey, here's my information. Get me connected. We all need this, people. You know, with football training camp starting, I was reminded this past week of a tragic story that actually happened many years ago. But I want you to listen to this. 20 years ago, Minnesota Viking offensive lineman Corey Stringer died from a heat stroke during football conditioning drills in 108-degree heat. That incident left a whole string of questions, but the most significant question was this. Why wasn't someone paying close enough attention to Corey to know he was in danger? Well, several NFL teams responded to that question by offering offering their players added protection through something known as a radio pill. It says teams pay $30 to $40 a piece for these pills, which last 24 to 36 hours. And there's a crystal sensor inside each pill with a frequency geared to the player's body temperature. So when the player's body temperature rises, so does the frequency. But this pill still requires the assistance of someone else. The way it works is that periodically a trainer walks by the football player, punches in that player's jersey number, and waves a digital device in front of him to determine if the player is getting too hot and needs intervention. Okay, allow me to draw one last analogy from the world of sports here. Not unlike athletes who don't know when they've extended themselves too much. They don't know when they need intervention. I think we as Christians can stray from God and be oblivious to our true spiritual condition. And that's why we've got to have somebody who's watching out for us. Somebody who's checking up on us. Somebody who can give us an honest evaluation of our spiritual temperature. Someone to hold us accountable. See, that's true brotherly love, authentic Christian community. And we all need it. No exceptions in this room. We all need it. So let's not ignore that need. Let's make it happen. Pray with me. Lord, I just want to thank you so much because you have made it crystal clear in your word that without community, We're going to crash spiritually. We're not going to be able to make it. It's not good for us to be alone. And Lord, I recognize that the last year and a half with COVID, we have become isolated in so many ways. And it's time to reconnect. We don't want to waste any more time not being in fellowship and authentic community with other Christians. The stakes are too high. There's a spiritual battle going on. So I pray that you would convict us that to carve out that time because our schedules are busy. It just seems like, we're, where am I gonna get the time to do this? And, and I pray when we get involved in a group that we would be authentic. We would truly share our hearts and we'd have people that would come alongside of us and we would develop, at least with a few people, at least with one other person, a deep, committed accountability relationship. God, I pray that you would help us with those who are closest to us to practice encouragement because nothing protects us from temptation. Nothing builds us up more spiritually than being encouraged. And at times, Lord, it it can be challenging. Uh, I pray that we would be courteous toward all people, even the ones that are difficult. God, we love you. We, We thank you for this opportunity to just open up your word and see what it has to say about authentic community in the body of Christ. And my prayer for my brothers and sisters here is that they're not in a group, they would go out and talk with Bob after the service and, and get connected. And then begin to experience all the blessings, all the fruit you have for us through Christian community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, folks, I hope you can stick around because we're getting ready to have a big party and celebration and have a great day.